0: Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this very special episode, I spoke to Catriona McCall. You might know her from things like the Beyond or Lady Oscar. That's pretty much what I talked to her about. Also, with a little bit of Hawk the Slayer thrown in there for good measure. I figured there was no better time to release this episode than this week when we were talking about Jacques Demy's Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So if you haven't heard that episode, please definitely check that out. And in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Catriona McCall, a truly wonderful lady. I had heard that you started off uh, your career as a dancer, is that correct? That is correct,
1: yes, many years ago um, and in fact I I live in France as you probably know. My career as a dancer is what brought me to to France, to the south of France in a big city, the second biggest in France called Marseille, which is a city with a bit of an edge to it uh, even today. So that was quite exciting. after about eight years of arduous training. Mm. But a da- my dancing career certainly uh, put me in good stead for everything that I've ever done on film and television because it gave me uh, an ease uh, with my my body and uh, my body in space if you see what I mean in front of the camera so I don't think I uh, I when I was a dancer I didn't know I was going to become an actress even though it was my second love at the time but I was concentrating on being a dancer but I little was I to know how much it would serve its purpose in front of the camera certainly
0: so yeah it's all part of the story mm. now did you move to France and then study there, or had you studied and then moved to
1: France? No, no, I had studied in uh, London at uh, one of the, well, probably the most important, uh, the Royal Ballet School, which is like uh, probably the most important uh, ballet school, a bit like New York uh, City Ballet School or something like that. And then uh, it was a question of looking for a job, and most young dancers in those days had leave British shores because there wasn't a great deal of opportunity within the companies that were in Britain. So most dancers went abroad first and then they possibly came back to British dance companies. Yes, I guess it was all part of my destiny. I mean, I I took to living in France pretty quickly and it's a country that I've always loved. I, I was taken there fairly regularly on holiday when I was a child because, of course, it's the first country across the channel where you might find some sunshine. So we'd had many happy sort of camping and caravanning holidays and renting villa holidays. So I guess I was given a love of France uh, subconsciously by my parents on those holidays. and uh, But I never expected to make my life in France, I, I thought that I would just work for a, a year because so I signed a contract for a year and then I thought well we'll see if I like it and then I signed the contract for a second year so I spent two years living in the South France uh, visiting a lot of wonderful places and dancing in some of them. Then I got the relatively uh, banal injury which a lot of dancers get, an ankle injury and kind of little by little that put, paid to any pleasure I was getting out of it it also made me have to make some decisions, uh, which I, I then did. I, so I, I basically put an end to my dancing career, and I then, luck had it that I met this French repertory company who were looking for a young person like me who could, who could dance, female, you know, not an actress because I wasn't an actress then, but I became one because they gave me a small part and I danced in the show. And that wasn 't too painful for my ankle, and having spent more or less a year with that company, I then decided to concentrate all my efforts on acting without actually having been then to acting school if you see what so I kind of fell into it uh, at the deep end, uh, but I swam and a uh, and I then spent uh, well that was also in the south of France in a big city called Nice. Um, Uh, which you've probably heard of or may even have been to, I don't know. So I spent two years with the dance company and then two years with the repertory company playing bigger and bigger parts on stage each time uh, before moving on from there because I felt that it was time to move on. And I was kind of thinking of going back to England then, but I stopped in Paris on the way because I knew quite a lot of people who I'd been in contact with in the company, the theatre company, and one of them introduced me to an agent and I started working on French television. Obviously by then I was speaking pretty much fluent French, um, not quite as well as I speak it now, but pretty much fluent. So I was able to perform in French, which was a feat I'm pretty proud of even today, because uh, there aren't that many. Uh, there are a few like Miss um, uh, uh, Scott Thomas, Kristen Scott Thomas, who started her career in uh, in France. We were. She's a couple of years younger than me, I think, a few years, but um, we were kind of around at the same time, and I I remember people uh, talking to me about her, saying, oh, and I still haven't met her. I've never met her, in fact. But now, of course, she's a huge international world star, um, and I've never had the pleasure of meeting her, but she had a kind of similar beginning, and she's always, I think she's still lives between France and London when she's not in America. Strangely enough, we even look a bit alike. People uh, for years now have been saying to me, uh, oh, do you know who you remind me of? And I I would think, okay, go for it, who? And they would always say Kristen Scott Thomas because we have the same British accent when we're talking. And we have a sort of physical likeness. I always hoped I might be able to play her sister or something, but that's never
0: happened. So anyway, that's that. (laughs) Can you tell me about some of your early roles? Did you start in television, or just jump right into movies, or?
1: Uh, no, no, I I, I started in uh, television, playing, uh, uh, well, playing kind of, um, well, slightly slightly smaller roles in in short films, and then I I'm trying to remember. Well, my my uh, that my first break was in a, a kind of mini series, which they did rather differently uh, time wise in in those days. Uh, it was sort of three hours of film split into an hour and a half on two nights running. And I played the young lead. Uh, so once I'd done that, I was beginning to play young leads and kind of make my space. And uh, then I was uh, given the lead role in a, a wonderful historical epic uh, by a very French, a very famous French director who's now deceased, sadly, um, called Jacques Demy, and the, the, late, the movie was called Lady Oscar, and that was a sort of a big thing in France. We're talking about the late 70s now, really the late 70s. and It was a big thing at the time because he was a famous director from the French New Wave Cinema, and he'd been uh, given this contract to do this rather strange package of a French story that took place during the French Revolution in Versailles Palace and uh, other palaces and places, with a British speaking, well, English speaking cast, a British cast. They decided to go for British actors in the end rather than Americans. And uh, all shot in and uh, around Paris, as I said, with a uh, Japanese French crew. So it was all all a bit of a hodgepodge, but um, it was a terrific, uh, terrific break for me in some ways and not in others. Terrific break because it was a I was twenty three, I think. And it, it was the lead part and it was this, um, epic and I was playing a boy during the, the, the French Revolution, uh, uh, based on a real character that had actually existed at that time. So it, it was kind of, um, uh, you know, sword and horseback riding and it was, it was terrific. After that I got an English agent the the downside of that story was that the film only came out in Japan so it it has been shown ever since as part of retrospectives of that director's work but it uh, it didn't have the for various different uh, distribution reasons it didn't come out um, sort of worldwide but it 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 did certainly uh, help me but perhaps not quite to the extent that it could have done if it had come out worldwide but then it had it would have had to have been a success for it to help me and the the year it was finished was the year where uh, they brought out um, Coppola brought out Apocalypse Now and uh, they were into kind of much uh, more um, much more realist type films so I'm not absolutely sure that it would have been a huge uh, cinema success, anyway, but but it it, it certainly in in Europe uh, helped me. Let's let's put it like that.
0: That must have been something. You're you're relatively new to acting, and there you are being the yeah. lead in this Jacques Demy film.
1: Well, the reason I got that, uh, one of the main reasons I got it was not only, again, my dancing career helped no end, because I was having to jump on the horseback and do a duel with a sword, and I think if I hadn't had a dance training, that would have been a, a lot harder, uh, but I the 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 lead I've been playing in the mini series. W- w- that mini series was directed by an ex assistant director of Jacques Demise and Jacques Demy rang up one day in desperation, saying, "I've been to London, I've been to Hollywood, I cannot get all these Japanese producers to agree on an actress, and I don't know what to do because we've got to decide by the end of this week." And uh, so it was a of the right place at the right time as well. And hopefully my talent and all the rest. And so uh, this assistant director, wonderful man said, well, I think the, actress you're looking for is standing right beside me and working with me at the moment and Jacques D'Amico said oh, who's, who's she and he, he didn't know who I was there was no reason for him to know and uh, I was packed off to Paris the next day on a train and uh, at the end of the first interview Jacques sort of banged his fist on the table and all the Japanese producers came in and he said if Katrina doesn't do this film I'm not doing it either literally literally said that and, and I was the last one. I was the last one. I mean, they, they told me at the time that they'd seen something like you know, several hundred people. I, I find it quite hard to believe that, but that's what they told me. I find it hard to believe. But anyway, sometimes these things get embellished you know, in this industry, sometimes more often than not. But anyway, they'd seen a lot of actresses, let's put it like that. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience, really wonderful working in Versailles Palace dressed in the costumes of the of the era, Marie Antoinette Louis the 16th. Uh, people, uh, sometimes the tourists thought they were seeing ghosts, you know, <laughs> but it was a great experience, certainly. And that was uh, just kind of pre lucio uh, yeah, in fact. I mean, it was, it was now for something completely different. It couldn't have been more different from from the films I did with Lucio, which I of course uh, thought nobody would see outside Italy and so therefore I thought uh, a story I've told many, many times, I thought um, it was kind of okay to be in such what's in the rest because when I read the script, uh, the rest wasn't in the script. The rest is Lucho, if you see what I mean, and his crew, of course, is lighting cameraman and everybody else. Uh, but that recipe, that Lucho recipe that those films proved to be, because obviously not all of Lucho's films were uh, proved to be a recipe like that, but there was a magic somewhere uh, which turned those films into a trilogy, which they weren't supposed to be originally, as you know. You know, it was just one film, and then I Lucha said, uh, and my agent said, oh, Lucha would like you to do another one, and I thought, oh, do I really want to do another horror film? And then I thought, well, you know, I had such a good time doing the first one because because I did, and I so loved going to America for the first time, which a lot of, well, in fact, I don't think anybody I knew in those days, uh, we're talking, uh, what are we talking, thirty five years ago or more. About that, uh, perhaps quite, not quite that much, but anyway, somewhere between the 30 and 35 mark. Um, you know, n- low cost flights to America didn't really exist, so none of my um, not, none of my friends had been to America then. So to go and spend three weeks, I, don't know, I think the first one was, what was it, Savannah, Georgia, uh, and, a, and a few days in New York, it was incredibly exciting. And then follow that with seven weeks in Rome. One of the blessed cities, you know. So who wouldn't say yes, really, and be paid, you know, if you were lucky, by Italian producers. I was paid, so <laughs> so, so that made it all the better. And so by that, by the end of that film, I had quite a lot of friends in Rome. And I, when my agent asked me if I wanted to do another one. Uh, I, again, had no idea I was going to do a third one at that point in time, but I thought, well, you know, do I, what else do I have to do at the moment? And I thought, well, I haven't got a lot going on at the moment. Well, let's, yes, let's, yes, please, let's go back and do another one. So that's how the second one took place. And then the third one, I sort of did standing on my head because I knew everybody. And as I said, I created a kind of life for myself in Rome then. I did contemplate at the end of those movies because I got myself an Italian agent, a very good Italian agent. It actually didn't do me that much good because you know, the Italian industry had sort of broken up by then more or less. So there wasn't a lot going on for somebody like me plus... I didn't speak fluent Italian, not that that would have necessarily mattered as they dubbed everything, but I was already a foreign actress living in France and could get to England quite quickly that way. I thought, do I really need to complicate matters by moving to Rome? And I thought, no, I don't think I do. Not speaking fluent Italian. If they need a British-English actress with some knowledge of Italian, they'll come and find me because I have an agent there. And sadly, nothing ever really came after that yeah, which was a bit sad but, uh, but anyway I mean I, what wasn't sad was the success that these movies still have you know who would have guessed all these years later we'd still be uh, talking about them uh, more and more in a way uh, it doesn't seem to be dwindling the, um, the cult status of these films from what I can tell
0: when it comes to working on these Italian films, what was kind of the atmosphere like on set? Because I've heard that some sets could be very chaotic because everybody's speaking in different languages and they're shooting without sound. And then I've heard that others are very locked down. So what was that like for you?
1: I don't particularly remember the set being locked down. It seems to me there was always a lot of people around. I mean, yes, it was a bit chaotic. I mean, uh, This is not a critique of the Italians whom I adore, but they do have a chaotic side, and everybody tends to talk at once. And you think you're sort of actually in an Italian comedy rather than an Italian horror film. But um, everybody was really first class, top class. So you know, whatever they did, they did it really well, and that reassured me. Plus, quite a few of the actors. The Italian actors, some of them were sons and daughters of famous Italian film stars or stage actors, so that made me think uh, the second reason why this is all right to be doing this. If all these first-class um, technicians who've worked with Fellini or Antonioni or Visconti or whoever it is are doing the, these films and uh, sons and daughters of very well-known, respected Italian actors are in them, it must be okay to do them. So I, I would have said... Uh, Everyone got on with their job. Obviously, you know, Lucho was renowned for his tantrums, which he didn't have all the time by any means, but when he had one, he had one. And uh, he was uh, this extraordinarily complex character. I don't think I realized it at the time, but but it was a bit like the taming of Lucho, if, if you see what I mean. Um, and I, I I always said that He seemed to respect me from the beginning, from the very first interview that I had in this Italian rather decadent uh, palace where he saw me, which was actually his and then my agents, because I I joined that agent as well at one point. Abode. that's where the agent lived, but it was full of antiques and it was just something uh, extraordinary. And and right early on, uh, Lucio was very Lucio, although, of course, I didn't know him very well in those days. And I, I didn't really get to know him that well either. But what I mean by that is that uh, he was surprisingly enough a A very shy man, uh, despite the temper tantrums. So he was a bit of a contradiction in terms a lot of the time. But, uh, and of course, you know, I was concentrating on what I was doing in English. And uh, uh, some actors, yes, were speaking in Italian, but one knew what they were saying because one had learned the scene and uh, I suppose it was quite funny if one had uh, been there watching it would have been quite amusing Um, I mean what was funny was that I do remember this and this is on La Paura uh, first one Uh, I remember being in the canteen of this slightly decrepit studio which was about the only one that was functioning then the Pauli's which is as as the story goes is now pretty famous because of all these movies um, but it was kind of on its last legs and I, I think it's closed now it, and you know there was kind sometimes it was just as well we weren't doing real sound because it was sort of rain coming through the roof sometimes and uh, it clearly needed some money spending on it but, but what was amusing was that in the canteen uh, during certainly a few weeks um, there was me and Lucio and everybody and all, all the zombies and everything. And uh, the other side of the canteen, there were people sort of walking around in angels' outfits on an Italian comedy, which actually turned out, the heroine of which turned out to be Isabella Rossellini. And uh, she had Martin Scorsese running around. He actually had nothing to do with the movie, but he was, they were together at the time. And uh, so he was sort of there running out around after her. So it, it, it was... Um, that would have been very amusing to film, you know. On one side, this Italian comedy with everybody dressed as angels, and on the other side, Lucio and this very, very dark, uh, violent, uh, uh, though decadently poetic uh, uh, horror film going on. Um, that created uh, certainly a, a, a strange atmosphere. But you know, we we had a lot of fun on those movies uh, because you had to have some light relief because uh, very often. Well, believed in what you were doing, and you were telling a story, uh, however dark it was, is another matter. But, but you, know, you did need some some light relief, so a lot of joking would go on in between scenes with my my leading men or, or whoever was was there. And my leading men were all three of them were honestly really delightful. Uh, I I I didn't get to know Christopher George as well as I got to know the other two. Um, perhaps that was also partly to do with the fact that it was the first movie. Christopher was older than me, and he was incredibly uh, professional uh, in a very kind of Hollywood way, which I respected. So we, we both respected each other, but we, and he was charming on set, but we didn't socialize a lot in between. Uh, whereas uh, David Warbeck, uh fooled around uh, most of the time, and so everything was a great lark and a laugh with David, and Paolo Malco, my husband in the third one, uh, house beside the cemetery, was just a delight. He was a very intelligent, uh, interesting man who I think had been an antique dealer or still had an antique shop in Milan. So, um, yeah, a very cultivated man. And he was a personal friend of Lucio's. I think that's why he was in it. So I do remember a few uh, dinners in Rome uh, on Saturday nights when everybody was not too exhausted with uh, Lucio and uh, Paolo. But, um, but, you know, you, you work, as you know, you work incredibly hard on a film set and you don't particularly feel like socializing with everybody. hey because you've got to get up so early, But uh, apart from the weekends when you can, but you tend to want to meet other people because you know, you're with them from morning till night anyway. Uh, and it's all very intense
0: stuff. I was amazed at how much you're on screen when it comes to something like the beyond where it, there are so few scenes where you're not in them and that must have been qu- quite a burden for you
1: uh, I didn't see it as a burden and again having been a ballet dancer nothing's too much of a burden in comparison with the hardness of, of, of dancing if you have a classical dancing anyway um, I just saw it as sort of getting on with my job really uh, I guess I was I don't know how aware I was until I saw the film that I was in oh I must have been because I read the script but uh, that I was in almost every scene now whether that was a direct result of uh I'm not quite sure when Lucio and Dardano Saketti actually wrote it, whether they wrote it after, probably they did, because they didn't tell me, after the first one, and whether they wrote me into all of those scenes as a result of my performance in, in Fear. I'm not quite sure about that. It is perfectly possible, but I guess it's a compliment. Uh, and it's, it's true that Lucio wasn't a terribly... Um, what would I say, verbal, direct. he could be verbal at other times, but in his actual directing, if he was happy with it, he didn't really say a lot. I I guess he was one because I mean, I've worked with a lot of directors that don't say a lot in actual fact, which again is a compliment because it means you're they only say something if you're not doing what they want you to do. And one knows oneself if it's right or not, which is why one can ask to do another take oneself if one's not happy with it. Sometimes you're granted it, usually you are, especially if you're playing the lead. You're not granted it necessarily if you're not playing the lead, but um, you know you know what your performance was worth and if you're happy with it or not. And these films, uh, I'm with The Beyond now, as we're talking about The Beyond, um, were a definite challenge in the sort of exploration of fear and darkness and uh, I was probably uh, beginning to realize that uh, I kind of could do it, uh, when I say without too much effort, I kind of, yes, I kind of had the hang of it and I could kind of go into those uh, depths uh, without getting freaked out uh, because I felt terribly secure. At the end of the day, we were making a film and Everybody was very professional and um, I wasn't asked, well, I was occasionally asked to do things I didn't want to do, but uh, compared to most of the other people I had already read in the scripts when I first read the first one and then the beyond, that you know, I was the one running away from the evil. I wasn't the one who was having to spew out my guts or, or something like that. I, I wouldn't have played the parts because if I'd had to do that, as I said, you know, there's the famous worm scene. Everybody heard about that in um, uh, in Fear, and there's the famous coffin scene. That's also in the uh, Fear, isn't it? Um, I'm trying to think what the uh, awkward uh scenes were in the beyond i don't think there were too many in actual fact and there's a guy falling off the ladder but it was him falling off the ladder not me and he was such a lovely guy larry uh, and uh, well i think i think that was a role it's not his name in real life and funny enough I've just been put back in touch with him. Uh he's delightful. <laughs> Retired now. Um can't quite remember where he's living, Florida, I think. And he sent me a really, really nice email, uh, thirty something years later because somebody put us in touch, yeah. So so there were a lot of really nice, respectful people involved in these these movies. Well, I I don't know that I remember it as that difficult it was really more of a challenge rather than anything else and i i kind of enjoy a challenge and i like uh, like everybody does being able to win the challenge and if lucio was happy which he seemed to be then i was and uh um i trusted him and i know he trusted me and therefore i guess i felt i could go quite far with all of that
0: where in the chronology of things is Hawk the Slayer? Because it seems like that's coming out right around the same time that okay. City of the Living Dead is coming out. Was that made before the Italian films during that stretch, or how was that?
1: Oh gosh, that's a very good question. I think it was before. I think I don't think I had done because I mean I'm trying to remember when did it appear? was was it nineteen uh, when was Ufia nineteen eighty. 1980 or 1981, I get them all in a muddle. Um, or maybe even before, because they were kind of, in my mind, they were fairly back-to-back over a period of two years, it seems to me. Uh I think I did one in April, then I must have done one the following winter, and then probably one again the following spring, or some, something like that. Yeah, I think that's... So it's always was probably, yeah, probably over a year and a half, so... Um, so Lear, I think was just before it was after Lady Oscar, mm. and just before Fear. Mm. That was fun. That was fun, and that's the kind of. I mean, I never dreamt that that would become a kind of cult movie as well. Uh, yes, yeah, sort of sword and sorcery movie. Um, I mean, it was quite kind of uh, simple. You know, it, well, I guess it wasn't in its time. You know, with this laser sword it seems very simple now but uh but it's it's terribly sweet i'm still very fond of it and and i got to work with the great uh, jack balance uh, whom everybody was fairly terrified of <laughs> uh, uh uh and he did look you know he was in a costume that was relatively similar to to darth vader so um i guess uh, people well he was a very intimidating man anyway but uh, I do rather like uh trying to, when I say get in where others can't, you know, I remember the makeup artist was sort of terrified of Jack Balance and, and I thought, what is there to be terrified of? You know, he's just, he's a human being after all. So I just went up and talked to him and he, again, he was another, it seemed to me rather shy person who needed, you know, helping uh, to, to sort of let go a bit. But, um, a terrific experience uh, working with him. Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm, proud of that scene. Mm-hmm. And I remained in touch. I've, I've kind of lost touch with him now. John Terry, who played the lead hawk, for quite a while after that, because it just so sort of happened that his cousin is still a very good friend of mine in England, so I occasionally, occasionally, occasionally hear in use of him.
0: If memory serves, at least one, if not two or three of these films were... Um thrown onto the so called video nasties list. Yes,
1: yes, indeed. Yes.
0: How did that affect you?
1: Oh, that did affect me because, uh, well, again, I, I mean, when I first agreed to do the, the first one, Fear, I had this conversation with my agent and I said I, I'm, I, I was in Rome and Lucia wanted my answer before I left Rome and I was only there for 24 hours. And it was almost like Lucia had given me the part before I got there, which has never happened to me again on, on an audition. You go for the audition and you hope you get the part, you either get it or you don't. But I think I got it before I went there, which was rather strange. But anyway, so I rang my agent and I said, I've just read this script. Uh, it was, I, I, I feel rather mean because Daldano Secchietti is a very intelligent man and Lucio, I think there were three of them that wrote it, but anyway, Lucio, Daldano and this other person. Um, and... Uh, you know, Dadan is a very well-dressed uh, Italian gentleman and uh, quite an intellectual of his kind. But I, I, I went around telling everybody how badly written this, this script was because it was, it seemed to me, and probably even worse so because it was uh, translated into rather bad English. And uh, there were no, it was just a dialogue, really, there was really hardly any stage directions in it. So I rang up my agent and I said, I really don't think this is a very good idea if I do this. In other words, you know, it's your fault, you've sent me here, what have you sent me into? And uh, he just said at the time, uh, he said, well... uh, Darling, uh, uh, have you got any other projects at the moment? Because everybody calls each other Darling in that industry. And uh, I said, well, not really. And he said, well, do you want to go to America? And I said, well, yeah, that would be nice. And he said, do you want to go to Rome afterwards? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first time I've ever been to Rome. It's wonderful. And do you need the money? And I said, well, yes, of course I need the money. And he said, oh, just do it. No one will ever see it. So it was almost like he was giving me permission. And I needed his permission to to be in this incredibly violent film so I just did it because I thought no one was ever going to see it outside Italy and in fact uh, boy was I wrong because I don't even know that the films were shown that much or are still shown very much in Italy but they seem to be shown everywhere else so here here we are a few years later on in London in the early 80s and uh, my brother says to me oh There's this um, very important conference going on with this um, intimidating lady who was head of uh, British censorship, film censorship in those days, and uh, she was a kind of figurehead who nobody liked. She was a bit of a dragon. And I don't think there has been anybody quite like her since, in fact. Uh, and she was a kind of um, a subject of ridicule as well. But, you know, she was powerful. My God, she was powerful. And so he just said to me, oh, well, she's presiding over this conference uh, in this huge, great conference hall. And he said, oh, they're discussing uh, 10 uh, films. And I said, oh, are they? And he said, yes. And they're all video nasties. And I said, oh, are they? And he said, yes. And you're starring in two of them. And I went, What? what i couldn't believe it and i was literally horrified and uh, kind of from that moment onwards when i realized these films had left the shores of italy and were being discussed as uh, you know films that were going to affect people badly etc etc i i decided to kind of hide from these films from that moment onwards and uh, so i never put them on my cv I didn't talk about them for years and I ran away from any journalist who got in touch with me. I never let them get past my agent at the time. I just said, Oh, just tell them, I don't want to talk to them and was busy trying to be a serious young actress who, you know, like would like and did do Shakespeare and uh, other respectable things Um, and then uh, and then a number of years after that. an English journalist, uh, sort of specialist in the genre, just ca- carried on and on and on, bugging me through my agent until I said, Oh God, look, look, I'll just let him meet me and you know, that will shut him up. And so we met in this pub in London uh, and he, because I was, I was in London, I was living in Paris at the time, but in London seeing my family and my agent there. And anyway, this journalist uh, said, uh, you don't know what's going on around these songs, do you? I mean, probably talking about 15 years after I made them or something. And I said, uh, no, what is going on? And he said, well, this is huge cult that's built up around them. Didn't you know? And I said, no, 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 I, I didn't know. And I didn't really want to know. Anyway, so we ended up getting on incredibly well. And he seemed... Uh, harmless enough young man and he said uh, there's this event going on at this um, very well known and respected art house cinema in London this weekend why don't you come with me it would be such a gas because David Warbeck's going to be there and David Warbeck's been doing all these conventions for a while and he loves them so I kind of tentatively uh, said well will you hold my hand and take me there then and he did and uh, I had an absolutely delightful time a seeing David again after all those years. It was when David was still on form. Uh, I I don't think he was ill in in those days. I certainly didn't show anyway. And and, and we had a wonderful afternoon. And I met the fans for the first time, English fans, British fans. And I realized uh, that obviously there's always the odd one at one of these conventions who's a bit Weird, but, uh, but on the whole, everybody was just so delightful and charming that I thought, uh, oh, well, maybe it is all right to um, uh, to take these films back on board. And then I met back in Paris. I met film producers who who were seeing me for other parts and things. Who you know, I would see the poster of the Beyond. Uh, behind their desk and and I would say, oh, you know, they knew who I was uh, and they said, oh, yes, we really love those films. I mean, it was just amazing how many um, cultivated, intelligent, cinephile people, specialists in cinema, whatever they were, uh, loved and still do those films. I mean, look at Quentin Tarantino. He's he's another one. So little by little, I got dragged in there and uh, became kind of fascinated by everything that was going on around these films that I thought nobody would ever see and it's kind of still the same today you know people still want to see them and they do have this even though they're very 80s are they not um they do also have this kind of timeless quality to them
0: which I think is part of the draw. The Beyond has that kind of surrealism to it that just uh, takes it out of any kind of time for a while which is fantastic
1: which is, you know, perhaps why they're they are lasting. Uh, and for a long time, I found it difficult to answer intelligent questions about, I and mean, give intelligent answers for that matter, about these films, because I hadn't really thought about them. You know, I, I, I'd only tried to think, I saw Fear in a small cinema in London, uh, in the centre of London, uh, on a Wednesday afternoon. I think it was the first showing, and uh, I went with my brother and my mother and I said oh my god you know just cover your faces if it gets too frightening and uh, I myself despite the fact I was in it found myself covering my face because I just couldn't look at what was coming next but you know there's only, there's only about 10 of us in the cinema on a rainy Wednesday afternoon and uh, I kind of came out of there thinking oh my god what have I done you know what have I done uh, despite the fact that I I I thought that my performance, I didn't think I could really have done better con- con- considering, you know, I wasn't ashamed of my performance, but uh, but anyway, they, they, oh, it's a truly bizarre story, the whole thing, uh, and here we are talking tonight, uh, all these years later, and you're not the only one that I talk to, and there are others, it just goes on and on, quite extraordinary.
0: What have been some of your other favorite roles over the years to play?
1: Obviously, in latter years, uh, some younger directors who've been influenced by the genre have approached me, and um, I, I, I well, for example, the, uh, we, the film is one thing and the role is another, in, in, in a way, there's a, a first film, beautifully photographed, uh, sometimes a little bit confusing perhaps, but it was the first film and he wanted to put everything in it because he was getting quite a lot of money to do it. A young French director called Pascal Lugier, who did this film, which I think in English is called House of Voices, Saint-Ange, it's called in French, a very Lucho-inspired uh, French horror film. And uh, I was very much playing this kind of... Um, Sort of Jane Eyre type uh, role, Uh, rather mysterious, rather hard. Uh, I greatly enjoyed playing that. A character roles, basically. As as I've grown older. I have particularly enjoyed uh, I mean nobody enjoys growing older particularly but anyway that's inevitable and uh, comes with that if you're lucky enough uh, rather deeper juicier parts not just the young heroine who's got to look pretty and smile and do whatever she has to do um, so these and, and recently in fact a, um, I, I think it's come out on DVD just in June recently this uh Again, a French horror film, because these films were all shot in English. Uh, this Pascal Lougy, House of Voices, and this one I'm about to talk about called Horsehead by Romain Basset, a very talented young French director, uh, about 30 years old. And uh, again, another French horror film, very intelligent movie, beautifully beautiful shot again, beautifully acted by everybody. And I play this very neurotic, uh, dark part with a big, huge family secret. And uh, I love that, yeah, yeah. I I have to admit, I do, uh, since I did the Lucio movies and since I reached a certain age and have a certain experience of life, experiences left good and bad, let's put it like that, I um, certainly am not scared of going to the darker corners of my soul and expressing them. And I seem to do it rather well from what everybody's told me, so... You know, it's hard. It's hard to say which. Which. Oh, I did enjoy. Uh, yes, I did a, a French, uh, very good French TV series called uh, a few years ago. Called supposed to be called Mafioso, It was called Saft because it's about uh, this newly appointed head of the mafia in uh, Corsica. Who happens to be a woman, uh, who, who's this young lawyer whose grandfather's the head of the mafia in Corsica, and the grandfather dies, and she's expected to take on uh, the president of the, of the mafia, so to speak. Uh, and anyway, I played this very tough American, would you believe, DEA agent with a gun, uh, and I kind of, you know, based that on a lot of um, female American cops I've seen in, in movies. I love doing that too. It's great fun playing, you know, bad, bad. I guess the bad guys, bad, bad girls uh, as well. Uh, the badder, the better, really. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the things that are um, perhaps as far removed from oneself as possible, even though perhaps one could have been that person in a different life, you know what I mean? But those, those are the most fun, anyway. Things that uh, you would never expect to play or even get near.
0: Yeah, you know, One film that you were in that uh, I don't think gets enough notice is uh, one called Maneaters.
1: Oh, uh, oh, God, that. I've yeah, totally forgotten about that. That's another one. Uh, well, that was a quirky little movie. I mean, it's not perfect uh, by any means, but it's a quirky little movie. I don't really know what's happened to it now. And I was trying to play that uh, uh, as a kind of uh, strip cartoon character, Strip being the operative word sometimes, <laughs> but uh, no, as a strip cartoon character, and uh, you know, and I greatly, I thoroughly enjoyed playing that. That was great That's fun. Wow, great fun. It, it just wasn't perfect because I, I, think it's it's really really hard. Uh, when a director has, I think it's really impossible, quite frankly, uh, and not to be recommended, written the, the movie, uh, written himself the lead role, is playing the lead role, and is directing it on a relatively low budget. But, you know, we, went, we spent two months in Sierra Leone before the war there, obviously. I don't know that one could go there now, in fact, or would be advised to. I don't even know if it's possible these days. Um, and, you know, we, we, we lived on a beach for, for two months. It was it was terrific. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Lovely. Uh, but, yes, that's a, but yeah, I have done some weird ones. You're, you're quite right. Yeah. I don't know whether I'm – I mean, is that, is that actually available on DVD these days?
0: Uh, not that I'm aware of. I had to find a uh, version of it that had uh, Polish voiceover and um, it was subtitled. Yeah, it was. It was kind of crazy how it was a uh, just subtitled in English by a fan, and then with a Polish voiceover explaining what was happening to everything.
1: Yeah, oh, well, that would take away a lot of the comedy. You know, that's that's for sure. You know. But, um, yeah, that was a a fairly wild film, I I have to admit. Uh, And, you know, it's it's funny, again, because uh, I found myself... Well, of course, you know, it was taken from a very successful uh, little stage play in France that ran for years. It ran for years, and all these actresses, not me, but all these actresses went in and out of it, and it was a perfectly respectable stage play to be in, and a little sort of comedy theater-type play. And uh, then the, the same writer-director wanted to turn it into a movie. I, I, as I've just said, I'm not quite sure that it completely worked, but but he probably could have done with some more outside influence, in actual fact. But but anyway, I, I, I had a ball play, playing that part, and I found myself... Eating it was, you know comic cannibalism, if that exists not really, but that 's what it was um, it, being married to and then eventually eating you know my my, my husband uh, who who is a very renowned uh, kind of theater producer in in England and the son of an incredibly famous actor <laughs> stage actor all very respectable and in fact, him and I have We haven't seen each other for years, but we do keep in touch on Facebook because it was such an extraordinary uh, experience to be in together. And uh, again, we had a lot of laughs doing doing that too.
0: What have you been up to lately?
1: Well, I've been doing a bit of theatre recently with this English-speaking theatre company that I started eight years ago here in the south of France. We have done a few dark ones. We did a a play uh, by Israel uh, Horovitz called... um, it's by Israel Horowitz. I hope I've got that right. Um, but I, could, no, I think I've got it wrong. But anyway, it's a name like that uh, called Veronica's Room. I don't know if you know that play. A very, very dark uh, Lucho orientated piece, indeed, with a fantastic uh, older female part. So I, I did that two years ago. This year we just did a comedy. We just did it in October. And I am involved in a wonderful little short film festival here just near where i live which takes place every november it's been going for 22 years and in the last uh, 3 years ago so i've done it for 3 years now i was asked to organize a uh, fantasy short film session for the festival and it went down so well that uh, i'm now doing it every year it's kind of um, become integrated in in the festival and i have great fun doing that with a documentary friend of documentary maker friend of mine who's a bit of a specialist in the genre as well and as a result of that I've been in a couple of um, shorts sort of um, horror kind of shorts. I don't know if you saw the anthology called The Theatre Bizarre, did you? Because I did that a few years ago. That's uh, six international shorts all in English from different directors, uh, what are they? Canadian, South African, uh, English, uh, American, um, Theatre Bizarre, yeah. And I was playing a witch in that. I always wanted to play a witch and I finally got to do it. <laughs> Very macabre witch again.
0: You're in the Richard Stanley part, is
1: that right? That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Who is another
0: character. Uh,
1: who's quite a challenge, a bit like Lucio in a different way. But uh, we got on uh, very, very well. Uh, He's um, quite something, Richard.
0: Did you see that documentary about uh, Dr. Moreau? Uh,
1: No, I really want to see it. No, I mean, everybody's told me about it, quite frankly. Uh, Oh,
0: yeah, it's it's really good. Apparently, and
1: pretty funny as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, very funny and funny and sad. Yeah, uh, but or, more funny than sad. Well, I,
1: good. I'm glad for Richard's sake. It's more funny than sad. Yes, yes. I must see that one of one of these days. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's one of those characters uh, like Lucio. You certainly don't forget. <laughs> but, but we did get on very well. Yes, you know, very well.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh,
1: well, you're 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 welcome. It's uh, yeah, it's been a delight. Thank you for asking me.